Well, yes, the, uh, the sermon we're dealing with today is, Will Christianity Make Us, make us Happy? And it is an unusual thing to do a topic, but also to do this kind of topic. Uh, how would you answer that? I, actually, before 8.30 this morning, I was sitting uh, with some, a couple in the foyer, and, I, and they said, what are you preaching? I said, I'm preaching on, will Christianity make you happy? And he said to me, he said, oh, the answer's obvious, just look at you. <laughs> and, I, and I said, I don't think you mean what I want you to mean. <laughs> <laughs> she said, yeah, yeah, you look pretty bad. So, um, <laughs> so let's, I'm tired. But anyway, yeah, it, it is a really important question. Will Christianity make you, and I've got a different answer than look at me, all right? Will Christianity make you happy? Uh, it is an important question. But, uh, well, the, the question itself and the answer we might get is important, but actually there's much more going on here that makes it an important question because it's an opportunity to think about the whole idea of happiness and the part it plays in decision-making. I want to talk to you about that. I want to dig a little bit deeper. Um, You see, we need to deal with this kind of stuff because happiness today has become very much the key to life. Now, it has got some roots back into the great philosophers of the ancient world, um, Plato and Aristotle, which I know you've got by your bedside. That's what you read each night. But um, Plato and Aristotle, back two and a half thousand years ago or so, they talked about happiness as the key to life, really. They said it's the great purpose of life is to be happy, uh, however you understand that particular word in their writings. But you've got a great heritage of happiness. And it makes sense, doesn't it? I don't want to live a life that's miserable. Is our happiness? Will it make me happy? Will Christianity make me happy? Um, but you've got today, the whole thing is ratcheted up. Um, I noticed an article just a month or so ago uh, about marriage where the, um, the person writing, the author, was saying that she's decided to move out of her marriage, but purely on the basis that her husband was no longer making her happy. And so she felt that was a legitimate reason now to leave and move on. Uh, and that kicked off a whole discussion online about really is happiness the thing and, and it was interesting to see the strong opinions in different directions but it did feel to me like that lady, um, is it Marie Kondo? Do you remember uh, you, you throw out those things that don't spark joy? Husband, gone. <laughs> Do you know? Um, it just felt a little bit like that. A child, gone. This child, keep, I don't know how you work this out, whatever sparks joy. Actually, for your interest and encouragement, she's now had kids and given up cleaning the house. (laughs) Just uh, for mums out there, be aware. Um, But yeah, whatever sparks joy. So happiness has really become, you know, we we determine whether marriage will continue or not based on whether I'm happy. Uh, But it it even has impacted the funeral industry. Um, You know, I've been thinking about this sermon for a long time. So 2017... An article came out, I was thinking about this sermon back then. In 2017, an article came out about funerals and it was entitled, The Rise of the Happy Funeral. So we've got to the stage as a community where we don't want anything to interfere with our happiness and so even funerals, which you know, are tragic, terrible affairs, uh, we're working hard to turn them into only a happy experience. Um, and so... Now, I want to be careful with this because, but, you know, I, I've sensed this for many decades too. There's what, what occurs, instead of a funeral being a place where we process together the grief and loss and comfort one another and be brought to a sense of sobriety about the reality of life and death, very much now it's pitched as a celebration and only a celebration. You know, I want this to be a celebration. I don't want people to be sad, but that's actually the purpose. Of funerals, but nonetheless, this is a rising thing where there are now themed funerals. 
where the speeches this uh, author said have become the new weddings with the best man's speech in praise of the person who's... and so on, with a few jokes uh, peppered through. Um, there is something happening in our culture about happiness, the desperate need for us. And so it is a question we get a little bit. Well, you're talking about persuading me to become a Christian, wanting to uh, pursue Christianity, and we get the question, will it make me happy? And you can understand why that question's posed, why people put it out there. But it might also be uh, for you living the Christian life, you might find yourself puzzling about, should I continue on as a Christian because it's not making me happy? And so the happiness issue comes into, will I stick at it? Not just will I start. And so it's an important thing to tackle, the whole topic of Christianity and happiness. Uh, I won't deal with everything, of course, but uh, I want to deal with some particularly deep things because think with me about the question, actually. Will Christianity make me happy? There's a question. Now, we're keen on questions as a church. We want to be a church where you can come with whatever questions you've got and this be a place where it's safe to ask questions and engage together. We want uh, people with doubts and struggles and so on. The Christian faith is robust. It can cope. God can cope. We want to be that church where you can bring your questions. But sometimes we do need to take care with our questions and sometimes ask questions about the question. Sometimes we need to ask a question about the question because sometimes the question itself can set you off in the wrong direction. We ask questions to get answers, but sometimes the way we pose the question itself makes it hard to get the answer. Let me give you an illustration. What colour is the equator? Come on, can't you answer that? Whenever I've seen the maps, it was black. I don't know, like, but you see the question itself, demanding an answer. Because the question's got a problem, you're not going to get the right answer, do you see? Sometimes you need to ask a question about the question. Um, and so, the same with this one. Will Christianity make me happy? It's asked often. Uh, will I get started? Will I give it a whirl? Will it make my life happy? Uh, will I continue? But think with me about the question, the issue of happiness and decision-making. So think with me about happiness and how it works with decision-making. Because will I become a Christian, will it make me happy, is a decision I'm trying to make and I bring happiness into it to try and work that out. Well, think with me about decisions and happiness. I want to, uh, I want to take you through a couple of examples to try and make sense of this. You're given two weeks off. You've got a boss who's very generous, uh, he, she says, take the next two weeks off, all expenses paid, go over you like with the family and I'll foot the bill. Where is that boss, of course, but that's the, that's the little picture we've got here. Um, now, you, you, you puzzle about what to do, Mal dives or Maureen? <laughs> now, how do you work out which to do? You've got a decision. Maldives, Maury. Now, there might be some things that are attractive about Maury. I can't imagine, but there might be some things that are attractive about Maury. Maldives. Now, which do you go with? Well, here's the thing. The primary concern that you will have in that context is, which one will make me happy? Which will I enjoy the most? Maldives or Maury? 
Now, maybe you've got family at Moree that you've not seen for a long time, which makes giving up on the Maldives not worth it. I, <laughs> you know, but which, it's, a, it's a decision you need to make and which will spark the greatest joy. Happiness is a big thing. Now, what we're talking about here is a lifestyle decision. Where to have a holiday. Let me give you another group of decisions and think about how happiness plays into that. A child comes home and says... And see, I'm doing this because there's children amongst us, so I want you to listen to this. Listen up, kids, this is for you. Uh, A child comes home and says, I've decided not to study for the HSC anymore. Uh, Instead, I'm going to focus on just watching Instagram. Now, as as a parent, you ask, well, do you... Well, you steal yourself and you ask, why? You want to try and draw out the adult in your child... And the child says, well, Instagram, watching Instagram makes me really happy. Study makes me sad. And you say, whatever makes you happy, dear. (laughs) No, you don't, do you? What do you say? (laughs) Well, here's some way. Let me give you some tips on how the speech should go, right? So, will will watching Instagram... uh, pay the bills, put food on the table, get your clothes on the back, get you all the games and toys you want, give you a roof over your head. Will it make it so you don't have to live here for the rest of your life? Will it provide all the things you need? You get down and study. We're not going to keep you for the rest of your days. <laughs> There's something of how the speech runs. Um, but then, of course, you might calm down and you say, uh, look, mate, think long term. What kind of life do you want in five years' time, ten years' time? Well, what choice you make now will make a difference for five and ten years' time. If you spend your days just watching Instagram, what do you want in five years' time? Do you want to be, do you want to be able to live a life where you can make choices and have resources to make, do the things that you want to do and be a bit more in control of what's happening in your world? Or do you want to be dependent on us for the rest of your days? Now, you've got to be careful with that one, don't you? <laughs> they might say yes. But um, you see, you, you, now with this, with this kind of, think about this decision. In this decision... Happiness plays a part, but in a long-term kind of way, you see? It's there as a factor, but the factor is, study makes me sad, I don't like study, but if I invest in that hard work now, then there's a long-term future where I will have all the things I want and be secure and happy, you see? So happiness plays a part, but in the long term. Let me give you another one, and I'm sorry, forgive me, this is triggering, but a child's got cancer. So it's a sad story, right? Child's got cancer. They need an operation. This is, I've made this up, right? So don't get too sad, okay? But they need an operation and it's going to cost $50,000. Massive. Now, this is a family where they can afford $50,000 just, but they were planning an overseas trip with all the kids that was going to cost fifty grand, And they now can't do both. And they say to a friend, we're not sure what to do. <laughs> I made this up, right? Don't get sad, okay? This is not real. But, but I'm not sure what to do. And they, the friend says this, which will make you happy? <laughs> and you say, what? I hope that's what you say. Are you right with me? Um, because something is deeply wrong. In the question, which will make you happiest? 
Now, I hope it's obvious that in this decision, 50 grand on healing a child with cancer or 50 grand on overseas trip, I hope in this decision you've got a sense that happiness isn't really the issue. Now, you, you might think about happiness in a kind of way in that decision, but it will be the happiness of the child, not your happiness. It's there, kind of, for them, not you, but you in a funny way too. Now, what I'm offering here is three illustrations, right? but two kinds of decisions. One kind of decision is just a lifestyle decision where happiness is the primary thing. Go for it. Whatever makes you happy, whatever sparks joy, do it, do it, do it. But there's another kind of decision, call it responsibility decisions, for want of a better term. Happiness is not there in the foreground, it might be there in the background. Let me give you a third kind of decision, a third category. This is a bit more hypothetical still, and I'll show you the that's hypothetical. A 20-year-old, your 20-year-old child finds $5,000 in a bag, there's no identification, and so he takes it home going, awesome, fantastic, five grand to spend on a sound system, a surfboard, and $1,000 to give to my dad. That's the hypothetical bit. Um, <laughs> though I do mention it because you're amongst us and kids, we just want to put that in your mind as something to do for your parents, right, just being aware. Um, but... Um, uh, then the child, the man, the young man, gets a phone call from a single mum. And she has identified the case as hers, and it's clearly hers, and she indicates to the 20-year-old, the five grand was in the bag because I've been scraping together for months to get a bond on a rental property to get a secure house for my two kids, and it's all the money I've got in the world to pull it off. Now, the son comes to you and says, I'm not sure what to do. Should I keep it or give it to the lady who says it's hers? And he says, my friends are telling me I should just do what makes me feel happy. And you say, what do you say? Happiness? This has got nothing to do with your happiness. It's got nothing to do with how, the, how you feel. It's about whose money it is and who it belongs to. It's about the reality of whether it's hers or not. And if it's hers, you just give it over whether you're miserable for the rest of your days, I don't care. Is that how the conversation with that one goes? Are we on the same page here? You see, some decisions are about lifestyle choices which will make you happy, which sparks joy. Yeah, and that's a good thing. Just work out where you want to go, what you want to do, whichever is happy. Beautiful thing to include. Some decisions are responsibility decisions. Happiness is there, but it's in the background. It's certainly not the foreground, and it's a complex thing where the happiness plays into it at all. It's an interesting thing. But other decisions, with other decisions, happiness isn't really the issue at all. There are some things in life that are really just about what's right, what's wrong, what's moral, what's good, what's true, what's false, what's evil. And these decisions might have happiness in some extraordinarily complex way, which I'm going to touch on towards the end. But only because deep down we are moral creatures. Happiness only plays into these kinds of decisions because deep down we've been constituted 
with a conscience and a moral nature such that we are made for doing what is good, what is right, what is true, what is wholesome. And when we do those things, it sings to your soul in some amazing fashion and brings something there that's rich and beautiful. Now, Christianity, will it make me happy? When someone asks the question, how do you answer it? With all of this background, actually, we're able to get to the bottom of the question and make it, I hope, work out what to do with it. Um, I hope all of this helps you appreciate, when someone asks the question, will Christianity make you happy? You, you, you actually have to wrestle with a prior question about Christianity. Which category of choice does it belong to? Do you see? Is it a lifestyle choice, like nippers or... Um, going to the beach, uh, 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 bushwalking. So some people on Sundays like bushwalking, some people like going to the nippers, some people like going to church and you just work out which one makes you and your family happiest and choose that. And do any of those whilst ever they make. Is Christianity like that? It's just a, it's a lifestyle choice that we can make or not make. Um, or is it in one of the other categories of decision? Well, that's what I want to wrestle with you about. I want to show you two passages, one very quickly, the other a little bit longer, Mark chapter 8, grab your Bibles, flip up there, listen in if you haven't got a Bible, Um, but as we come into 2 Corinthians in the next couple of weeks, uh, I want to encourage you to get hold of a Bible, bring a Bible along, it's quite compelling and powerful to have one sitting in your lap, Um, if you have to use your phone, sure, just don't do Instagram, right? But uh, what you've got here is Jesus persuading a group of people, verse 34, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What you have here is Jesus appealing to a group of people to be his followers. And did you notice, not only did he not mention how happiness is part of the decision... Not only did he not say that if you come and follow me, God's got a special plan for your life and it'll be amazing, wealthy, healthy. Not only didn't he say those things, he said that if you come follow me, it will cost you everything. It will mean dying to yourself. And he tells them this is about your soul into eternity. Happiness today just does not figure in his appeal. But more fully, consider another passage in the New Testament. Come with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 is a a sermon by the Apostle Paul where he's trying to convince a group of people to follow Jesus. He's evangelising them effectively. And um, he is in verse 22, Acts chapter 17, verse 22. He's in Athens at a place called the Areopagus and he's He's preaching a sermon. And what I want to do with you is go through very quickly this sermon and and just tease out what it tells us about Christianity, which category it sits in. Lifestyle choice, responsibility, moral, where does it sit? Uh, That's the plan. So stick with me as we go through. I'll go through fairly quickly, but hang in there. Verse 24, he says to them, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. Quick summary. There is a God, says Paul. 
The world and everything we see is because of that God. In contrast to the pagan gods, the gods they were worshipping, their idols, he says the true God is the one who made everything. He is Lord, the powerful, sovereign ruler. And he can't be contained in buildings. Have a look there, verse 25. He's not served by anything, uh, by human hands. I'm sorry, he does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needs anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life, breath and everything else. Um, He's having a shot here at the idol worship of the ancient world where you would set up a temple and you'd build an an image, an idol out of stone or wood or costly stones, these kinds of things, gold. And you'd sit it in the temple and there's your God and you'd have to bring food to it. And it would need us to bring it food and if it fell over, we'd have to pick it up and... And what the Apostle Paul is saying, the true God, the living God, the one who made all things, is worlds apart from the way you think about God. He doesn't need us. We need Him. We depend on Him every moment. He's the one who gives us life, breath and everything else. And verse 26, He's the one who puts us in our places. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history, boundaries. He's the one who's sovereign. He rules over all. He rules over every one of us, places us where we are, in the family context we're in, um, in the land, the country. All of this is God's sovereign hand at work. He doesn't need us. We depend on him at every moment. And incredibly, verse 27, God did this so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God doesn't need us, but he wants you. He wants to have relationship with you. Not because he's lonely, not because he needs us. He is the Lord of heaven and earth but he's also the God of love who created out of the overflow of his love to bless those that he created that they might know him the greatest the greatest of all things that we might have a relationship with the living God God loves us so much he gave us that and so verse 29, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we've come from him, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. And here we start to come to it. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. By the man he has appointed, and he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Easter. In the past, God has overlooked the kind of ignorance that thought he needed us, that he was some small tribal deity, that we could keep him in a pocket somewhere. God's overlooked that ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, to turn back to him. And he has set a day when he would judge 
by the risen Lord Jesus. Now, as I've gone through all of that fairly quickly, with that question hanging over it, what kind of thing is Christianity? What category of decision is it? I think the first verses start to land it for us. The true God, the God who made the world, is not like the God you think he is. He's the one who doesn't live in temples built by... He's the God who is doesn't need us, rather, he's the one who gives up. As you start to go to these, what does it tell you about the kind of Christianity, the Christian thing it is? It's about a truth thing. It's about the truth. Is God this God? Is he our maker? Is he our Lord? Is he the Lord of heaven and earth? Effectively, do we belong to him and owe him everything? Is this true? Is your existence only possible because he brought you to be? Is your every moment, every day only continuing because he gives you breath and he causes your heart to beat and he gives you everything you need? Do we owe him every... Is this true? Is this the truth about who God is? Now, it's not hard to make sense of this and the implications if that is the case. If he is the God that Paul says he is, then a choice to turn back to him is not a lifestyle choice. It is recognising the one we owe all things to. It's a moral choice. It's a right-wrong choice. It is what is owed to this God. And it's confirmed in the starkest possible way at the end because this God has been patient, he has overlooked ignorance, but now he commands. He, he, He speaks through the word of the gospel and says... Come back, repent, bow the knee before me. All of this because he is our God and we owe him everything. Now this is part of a larger series of events that we sometimes call a story. It's not a story that's a fiction story, uh, but it is a series of events that go down through history that you can tell a story from and let me just run you through this series of events here's how it goes God made the world he is the Lord of heaven and earth and he creates us not because he needed it because he wants relationship with us he wanted to share the joy of his existence with us and he walked with the first people he created in the garden he made us, he longs for us to know relationship with us and he pursue, with himself and he pursues us. Yet, yet every one of us turned our back on him. We betrayed his love, his rule, his goodness, which is what the Bible calls sin. Sin is not simply being selfish to each other. That's a consequence of sin or it's a sin, but only because it's rebellion against the God who says, don't do that. Sin is a, uh, the act of throwing God off. Rebelling against him is our rightful ruler, which leads to us making ourselves the centre with all the consequent disaster that comes with that. We threw him off. And yet, in all of that, we can't see what we've done. The problem is in our foolishness and brokenness and pride... We won't let ourselves see what we've done and how serious it is. I, I spent 35, 40 years 
trying to learn myself and persuade others of the seriousness of sin. It's a difficult thing to do because of what we bring to it. We're like, we're like 15-year-olds who are living at home. We're like I was. Let's not cast all 15-year-olds in this. Like I was when I was 15, living at home. I thought I was an amazing person and my parents were the ratbags and I was the one doing the right thing and they were being hostile. And, but really, I was just using them. I was being rude and obnoxious. I wasn't relating as I ought. At 15, hands up if you were like that too. Okay, good, yeah, there's a few others like that. Um, who, who pretends they weren't like that at 15? Uh, let's, uh, yeah, we'll get to talk to your parents and see how it really went. But uh, 15 year old like this, who, whose friends all tell him, tell her that, that yeah, you, look at your parents and so on. Um, but the thing is, when you become a parent yourself, and see the 15-year-old in action, you go, wow, I see now what I didn't see. There's a sense in which, before God, every one of us (laughs) 35-year-olds is like a 15-year-old. Every one of us 40, 50, 60-year-olds, before the holy God of the universe, can't see what we bring. Think he's the problem, not us. But a moment in the presence of God himself will bring to light the reality of how serious it's been. We threw him off, hijacked his world and used him as it suited us. And we've not just done this with human parents. We've done this against the divine majesty of the God of the universe who is perfectly just, holy and righteous and good and loving, who must punish sin to ensure the beauty of the universe. And so he has set a day to judge, to clean things up. Except at the same time, in a last-ditch effort, which is a terrible way to talk of God, please, I'm using language inappropriately in a sense, but God is determined to judge But as an extraordinary act of love, he comes into our world in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he comes into our world calling us back. But more than that, he gives up his own life to pay for our sin, to make it possible for us to come back forgiven, cleansed and purified. Such is his desire for relationship with you. He dies to make it possible. And then he gives us a choice and says... The world will one day end. I've demonstrated the reality of this by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a choice. Come back, repent, find the pardon you need and relationship with me forever or persist in rejecting me, which will mean certain judgment, destruction, rejection forever. Friends, Christianity is not a lifestyle choice. It is a claim about the very shape of reality and our place in it. And given the magnitude of that claim, the kind of claim it is, the issue isn't whether it will make you happy. (laughs) Is it true? Is he our God? Have we done this to him? Do we owe him all things? That's the issue. He is our maker. 
our loving creator who is owed obedience. Do you see, is this really how things are? Is it really how he is and how I am before him? This is the foreground. This really is in the order of, did I take something that belonged to someone else? Have I hijacked something that someone else is owed? Will it make me happy to give it back? I don't care. Just give it back. And so God commands us. Will it make you happy to obey his command? He's God. You're not. He's the potter. We're the clay. It's his world. We owe him all that we have. He gives us life, breath and everything else. And he commands himself. He commands us. Now perhaps you might find yourself listening to that language of command. God commands me. You might find yourself reacting perhaps. Who does he think he is? God or something? Right there is just a bit of evidence of sin. If he is who the Bible says he is and we are what the Bible says we are, the command of God to us is exactly the right posture our God ought to have to us and the posture we ought to have is humble repentance. Happiness? Is it there? Well, yeah. It is. It's an extraordinary blessing and gift of God. Will Christianity make me happy? That's not, that's not the issue. The issue is, is he, has he done what he's... Do I need this? Is he given me everything? Is it right to? Yes, obey the command. But will it make me happy? In the deepest way possible. Not in the days, perhaps, not in the weeks, but in a life lived, faithfully serving your loving God and knowing your loving God. There will be a deep kind of happiness that you cannot find anywhere else. It's the kind of happiness that comes in a loving sacrifice where you pay the $50,000 to to deal with the cancer of your child. It's a kind of satisfaction, it's a kind of um, joy and love of the giving for the good of the other that is profound and can't be found anywhere else because it aligns with the very soul that God has made us to have. And so is there happiness in being a Christian? Well, yes, but not in the moments, not in the days. But to live a life faithfully fulfilling my obligation to him as a creature, to give myself back into relationship with him, the God who gave himself for us, is to find the kind of joy and satisfaction that cannot be found elsewhere. There's a deep sense of the rightness of it, which brings the joy. There's a deep sense of satisfaction in doing what I was made to do, in being aligned again with who I was created for relationship with this God and I come into relationship with a God who is full of love and grace who will hold me into eternity joy nothing like it but not in the days and minutes 
The reality is, as I follow this God in this world, in this fallen world, with sin and the world and Satan against me, it will be a vast experience of grief, pain and suffering as I fight the world, the flesh and the devil. As I fight to be faithful, it will be hard. It will mean dying to self. It will mean denying myself. No one promised otherwise in the Bible. It's through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus was very straightforward as well. But in one sense, it's not the point. God commands us. He commands us because it's for our good. It's a gift to obey. That we return to the one who has loved us and made us. Our soul is cleansed. We are forgiven. We are aligned. It won't make you happy in every moment but it will bring a deep sense of rightness that you were made to have. Happy? No. And yes. Because there's eternity awaiting us. So today, come back. Where else would you go? Look what you owe and look what the gracious God has for you come back. Let me pray.